chapter ten of the conquest of new france by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten the strategy of pitt during four campaigns the british had suffered humiliating disasters it is the old story in english history of caste privilege and deadly routine bringing to the top men inadequate in the day of trial it has happened since even in our own day as it has happened so often before it seems that imminent disaster alone will arouse the nation to its best military effort in seventeen fifty seven however england was thoroughly aroused failure then on her own special element the sea touched her vitally admiral bing through sheer cowardice as was charged had failed to attack a french fleet aiding in the siege of the island of minorca which was held by the english and minorca had fallen to the french such was the popular clamour at this disaster that bing was tried condemned and shot there was also an upheaval in the government at no time in english history were men more eager for the fruits of office and now even in a great crisis the greed for spoils could not be shaken off the nation demanded a conduct of the war which sought efficiency above all else politicians however insisted on government favours in the end a compromise was reached at the head of the government was placed a politician the duke of newcastle who loved jobbery and patronage in politics and who doled out offices to his supporters at the war office was placed pitt with a free hand to carry on military operations he was the terrible cornet of horse who had harried walpole in the days when that minister was trying to keep out of war he knew and even loved war his fierce national pride had been stirred to passion by the many humiliations of the hand of france and now he was resolved to organize to spend and to fight until britain trampled on france he had the nation behind him he bullied and frightened the house of commons members trembled if pitt turned on them by his fiery energy by making himself a terror to weakness and incompetence he won for britain the seven years war though pitt became secretary of state for war in june seventeen fifty seven not until seventeen fifty eight did the tide begin to turn in america but when it did turn it flowed with resistless force in little more than a year the doom of new france was certain the first great french reverse was at a point where the naval and military power of britain could unite in attack pitt well understood the need of united action by the two services halifax became the radiating centre of british activities here in seventeen fifty seven before pitt was well in the saddle a fleet and an army gathered to attack louisbourg an enterprise not carried out that year partly because france had a great fleet on the spot and partly too on account of the bad quality of british leadership only in the campaign of seventeen fifty eight did pitt's dominance become effective with him counted one quality and one alone efficiency the old guard at the war office were startled when men with rank years influence and every other claim but competence for their tasks were passed over and young and obscure men were given high command 
to america in the spring of seventeen fifty eight were sent officers hitherto little known edward boscawen commander of the fleet and veteran among these leaders was a comparatively young man only forty-seven jeffrey amherst just turned forty was commander-in-chief on land next in command to amherst was james wolfe aged thirty these young and vigorous men knew the value of promptness or they would not have been tolerated under pitt before the end of may seventeen fifty eight boscawen was in halifax harbour with a fleet of some forty war-ships and a multitude of transports on board were nearly twelve thousand soldiers more than eleven thousand of them british regulars the colonial forces now play a minor part in the struggle pitt was ready to send from england all the troops needed the array at halifax the greatest yet seen in america numbered about twenty thousand men including sailors before the first of june the fleet was on its way to louisbourg the defence was stubborn and james wolfe who laid the first landing party had abundant opportunity to prove his courage and capacity by the end of july however louisbourg had fallen and nearly six thousand prisoners were in the hands of the english it was the beginning of the end in the autumn wolfe was back in england where he was quickly given command of the great expedition which was planned against quebec for the following year admiral sir charles saunders who seems almost old compared with wolfe for he was nearly fifty was in chief command of the fleet amherst had remained in america as commander-in-chief and was taking slow deliberate thorough measures for the last steps in the conquest of new france to be too late had been the usual fate of the many british expeditions against canada no one however dared to be late under pitt on february seventeenth seventeen fifty nine the greatest fleet that had ever put out for america left portsmouth more than two hundred and fifty ships set their sails for the long voyage there were forty-nine warships carrying fourteen thousand sailors and marines and two hundred other ships manned by perhaps seven thousand men in the merchant service but ready to fight if occasion offered altogether nearly thirty thousand men now left the shores of england to attack canada there is a touch of doom for france in the fact that its own lost fortress of louisbourg was to be the rendezvous of the fleet saunders however arrived so early that the entrance to louisbourg was still blocked with ice and he went on to halifax in time he returned to louisbourg and from there the great fleet sailed for quebec the voyage was uneventful we can picture the startled gaze of the canadian peasants as they saw the stately array many miles long pass up the st lawrence on the twenty sixth of june wolfe and saunders were in the basin before quebec and the great siege had begun which was to mark one of the turning points in history nature had furnished a noble setting for the drama now to be enacted quebec stands on a bold semicircular rock on the north shore of the st lawrence at the foot of the rock sweeps the mighty river here at the least breadth in its whole course but still a flood nearly a mile wide deep and strong its currents change ceaselessly with the ebb and flow of the tide which rises a dozen feet though the open sea is eight hundred miles away behind the rock of quebec the small stream of the st charles furnishes a protection on the landward side below the fortress the great river expands into a broad basin with the outflow divided by the island of orleans 
in every direction there are cliffs and precipices and rising ground from the north shore of the great basin the land slopes gradually into a remote blue of wooded mountains the assailant of quebec must land on low ground commanded everywhere from heights for seven or eight miles on the east and as many on the west and both ends of this long front are further natural defences at the east the gorge of the montmorency river and at the west that of the cap rouge river wolfe's desire was to land his army on the beauport shore at some point between quebec and montmorency but montcalm's fortified post behind which lay his army stretched along the shore for six miles all the way from the montmorency to the st charles wolfe had a great contempt for montcalm's army five feeble french battalions mixed with undisciplined peasants if only he could get to close quarters with the wily and cautious old fox as he called montcalm already the british had done what the french had thought impossible without pilots they had steered their ships through treacherous channels in the river and through the dangerous traverse near cap tourmont captain cook destined to be a famous navigator was there to survey and mark the difficult places and british skippers laughed at the forecasts of disaster made by the pilots whom they had captured on the river the french were confident that the british would not dare to take their ships farther up the river past the cannonade of the guns in quebec though this the british accomplished almost without loss wolfe landed a force upon the lower side of the gorge at montmorency and another at the head of the island of orleans he planted batteries at point levis across the river from quebec and from there he battered the city the pleasant houses in the rue de palois which montcalm knew so well were knocked into rubbish and its fascinating ladies were driven desolate from the capital but this bombardment brought wolfe no nearer his goal on the thirty first of july he made a frontal attack on the flats at beauport and failed disastrously with the loss of four hundred men time was fighting for montcalm by the first of september wolfe's one hope was in a surprise by which he could land an army above quebec the nearer to the fortress the better its feeble walls on the landward side could not hold out against artillery but bougainville guarded the high shore and marched his men incessantly up and down to meet threatened attacks on the heights the battalion of guyenne was encamped on the plains of abraham to guard the foulon this was a cove on the river bank from which there was a path much used by the french for dragging up provisions leading to the top of the cliff at a point little more than a mile from the walls of the city on the sixth of september the battalion of guyenne was sent back to the beauport lines by order of vaudreuil montcalm countermanded the order but was not obeyed and wolfe saw his chance for days he threatened a landing above and below quebec now at one point now at another until the french were both mystified and worn out with incessant alarms then early on the morning of the thirteenth of september came wolfe's master stroke his men embarked in boats from the warships lying some miles above quebec dropped silently down the river close to the north shore made sentries believe that they were french boats carrying provisions to the foulon landed at the appointed spot climbed up the cliff and overpowered the sleeping guard a little after daylight wolfe had nearly five thousand soldiers a thin red line busy preparing a strong position on the plains of abraham while the fleet was landing cannon to be dragged up the steep hill to bombard the fortress on its weakest side 
montcalm had spent many anxious days he had been incessantly on the move examining for himself over and over again every point cap rouge beauport montmorency reviewing the militia of which he felt certain inspecting the artillery the commissariat everything that mattered at three o'clock in the morning of one of these days he wrote to bourlamaque at lake champlain noting the dark night the rain his men awake and dressed in their tents every one alert i am booted and my horses are saddled which is in truth my usual way of spending the night i have not undressed since the twenty third of june on the evening of the twelfth of september the batteries at point levis kept up a furious fire on quebec there was much activity on board the british warships lying below the town boats filled with men rowed towards beauport as if to attempt the landing during the night here the danger seemed to lie at midnight the british boats were still hovering off the shore the french troops manned the entrenched lines and montcalm was continually anxious a heavy convoy of provisions was to come down to the foulon that night and orders had been given to the french posts on the north shore above quebec to make no noise the arrival of the convoy was vital for the army was pressed for food montcalm was therefore anxious for its fate when at break of day he heard firing from the french cannon at samo above quebec had the provisions then been taken by the english near his camp all now seemed quiet he gave orders for the troops to rest drank some cups of tea with his aide-de-camp john stone a scotch jacobite and at about half-past six rode towards quebec to the camp of vaudreuil to learn why the artillery was firing at samo immediately in front of the governor's house he learned the momentous news the english were on the plains of abraham soon he had evidence of his own eyes on the distant heights across the valley he could see the redcoats no doubt montcalm had often pondered this possibility and had decided in such a case to attack at once before the enemy could entrench and bring up cannon a rapid decision was now followed by rapid action he had a moment's conversation with vaudreuil the french regiments on the right of vaudreuil's camp lying nearest to the city were to march at once to johnstone he said the affair is serious and then gave orders that all the french left except a few men to guard the ravine at montmorency should follow quickly to the position between quebec and the enemy a mile away off to this point he himself galloped already by orders of the officers on the spot regiments were gathering between the walls of the city and the british the regiments on the french right at beauport were soon on the move towards the battlefield but two thousand of the best troops still lay inactive beyond beauport johnstone declares that vaudreuil countermanded the order of montcalm for these troops to come to his support in order that not one of them should budge there was haste everywhere by half-past nine montcalm had some four thousand men drawn up between the british and the walls of quebec he hoped that bougainville advancing from cap rouge would be able to assail the british rear surely bougainville understands that i must attack the crisis was over in fifteen minutes montcalm attacked at once his line was disorderly his centre was composed of regular troops his wings of canadians and indians these fired irregularly and lay down to reload thus causing confusion the french moved forward rapidly the british were coming on more slowly the french were only some forty yards away when there was an answering fire from the thin red line for wolfe had ordered his men to put two balls in their muskets and to hold their fire for one dread volley then the roar from wolfe's centre was like that of a burst of artillery and when the smoke cleared the french battalions were seen breaking in disorder from the shock the front line cut down by the terrible fire a bayonet charge from the redcoats followed some five thousand trained british regulars bore down working great slaughter on four thousand french many of them colonials who had never before fought in the open the rout of the french was complete some fled to safety behind the walls of quebec others down the cote 
st genevieve and across the st charles river where they stopped pursuit by cutting the bridge both wolfe and montcalm were mortally wounded after the issue of the day was really decided and both survived to be certain the one of victory the other of defeat wolfe died on the field of battle montcalm was taken into a house in quebec and died early the next morning it is perhaps the only incident in history of a decisive battle of world import followed by the death of both leaders each made immortal by the tragedy of their common fate at two o'clock in the afternoon of the day of defeat vaudreuil held a tumultuous council of war it was decided to abandon quebec where montcalm lay dying and to retreat up the st lawrence to montreal to the defence of which levis had been sent before the fight that night the whole french army fled in panic leaving their tents standing and abandoning quantities of stores vaudreuil who had talked so bravely about death in the ruins of canada rather than surrender gave orders to ramazay commanding in quebec to make terms and haul down his flag on the third day after the battle the surrender was arranged on the fourth day the british marched into quebec where ever since their flag has floated meanwhile amherst the commander-in-chief of the british armies in america was making a toilsome advance towards montreal by way of lake champlain he had occupied both ticonderoga and crown point which had been abandoned by the french across his path lay bourlamont ile aux noix another british army having captured niagara was advancing on montreal down the st lawrence from lake ontario amherst however made little progress this year in his menace to montreal and soon went into winter quarters as did the other forces elsewhere the british victory therefore was as yet incomplete the year seventeen fifty nine proved dire for france she was held fast by her treaty with austria and at ruinous cost was ever sending more and more troops to help austria against prussia the great plan of which belle isle had written to montcalm was the chief hope of her policy england was to be invaded and london occupied if this were done all else would be right it was not done france could not parry pitt's blows in africa in the west indies in india the british won successes which meant the ruin of french power in three continents french admirals like conflans and la Clue were no match for boscawen hawk and rodney all seamen of the first rank and made the stronger because dominated by the fiery pit they kept the french squadrons shut up in their own ports when at last on november twenty seventeen fifty nine conflans came out of brest and fought hawk at Quiberon bay the french fleet was nearly destroyed and the dream of taking london ended in complete disaster End of chapter ten